Good morning. Good to see you this morning. This has been a very emotional last couple of weeks for me, um, maybe the last couple of months. And what I want to do in the last five messages that I am privileged to bring to you, I, I want to come with encouragement, but I also want to come with challenge. Encouragement, challenge. Who wants the encouragement? Who wants the challenge? <laughs> I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. We're going to probably get half the hands on that one. Um, I've been encouraged this past several weeks, months, and uh, I've also been challenged. Yesterday I went to Brother Jeff's mother's memorial service, and right there, sang softly and tenderly, Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. I started weeping because I sang that to my mother the last two weeks of her life when she was dying of kidney failure. And then Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. From whence does my help come? My help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth thee will neither slumber. Nor sleep, the Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, more than, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect your going in and going out from this time forth and forevermore. I read that to my mother every day for like two weeks. I sang that hymn for her, so that just made me think about my heritage. Made me think about where I come, I came from. Several weeks ago, <clears throat> my grandson Judah turned 14 years old. And my son Seth has been planning. He's been planning for several years what he wanted to happen when my grandson Judah turned 14 years old. He wanted something like a Christian bar mitzvah. He, he wanted something that would gather around him followers of Jesus who would encourage Judah to be a, a man after God's own heart. Not to do the things that David did, but to be a man after God's own heart. And three weeks ago, I was invited as one of five people. It was me, his grandfather, his other grandfather, and then three men that Judah chose who had poured into his life the encouragement to follow Jesus and to love him. And we all gathered around him, and Seth asked us each to, to bring a gift for him and to give Judah a gift. And so I would like, I'm not going to share the whole thing, but <clears throat> Seth asked if we would write down, and I hand wrote it for him. And then I looked my grandson in the eye. And I said this to him, because brothers and sisters, you are one of the most mature congregations that I have had the privilege to pastor and be a part of. 
You know your Bibles. You love Jesus. You are open to following the Holy Spirit. And so the question is, what kind of a legacy are you going to leave? What kind of a legacy are you going to leave? That has nothing to do with how many people sit in the pews. It has everything to do with who are you? Who are you and who do you belong to? And what is your life about? We can say the Westminster Catechism all day long and you can know the answers in your heart. But what does it look like to live that out? I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to take that maturity and allow God to bring you together in a way that leaves a legacy for Jesus in this community and in this culture that we live in. So it's really not unlike what we did with Judah. He's 14 years old. He gave his life to Jesus several years ago, and he has been following Jesus. And that's what I put in the in the beginning, I told him about um, he was the first grandchild I ever held and holding him and rocking him. I told him when I turned the light on, he would go, light, light, light. And I said, yes, Judah, the light of the world is Jesus. I want you to live in his light. I told him I loved you to what I see God doing in you. He has such an inquisitive nature and it's such a gift from God. And he's challenged to bring it under the Holy Spirit guidance. He has respect for everyone, especially his parents and grandparents. And I told him, Judah, I want you to turn that respect into the greatest respect that you have for Jesus Christ in your life and follow him. I told him to be a leader be a man of action, to be a man after God's own heart. I told him to initiate, not to wait. Don't wait on anyone. Let the Holy Spirit put it in you, and then you initiate it, Judah. You'll be a leader. I said, stand strong, Judah. Stand in your faith. This past week, he went to an apologetics class for a whole week from 8 to 5 every day. He's a 14-year-old child, and he went there every day, and he came home, and I went, and he told me what God was teaching him. You thought I wasn't going to cry in this sermon. You are very mistaken. But I've learned there was a time when I didn't cry, and I learned that being a man is to be in touch with all of the emotions that God has given you. And so... I'm going to let it rip. I said, stay humble, Judah. Be on the lookout for pride. Serve the king of kings, Judah. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. I told him how I love being his grandfather. It's one of the greatest blessings of my life, equal to having the privilege of being his dad's father. And here's where I got very personal with him. I said, Judah, my dad never would have had a ceremony like this. Never would have had a ceremony like this. He wouldn't be sitting here telling you his heart. 
And he certainly wouldn't be crying in my presence. I never saw my dad cry. He was too busy dealing with the pain of war and immaturity and generational dysfunction to invest in me. He loved me, my dad loved me, but he never stepped up as a man to show me how to be a man. Alcohol was my dad's way of drowning out the pain. And I'm saddened to say, although I loved your dad, Judah, and your uncles, I was too busy trying to face my brokenness so I could be whole, that I neglected that responsibility with your father. My son was sitting because I was speaking the truth. I honestly embraced the responsibilities of joy and joys of manhood much later than I would have liked. It pains me to say that Dwayne Kirshner, Dwayne Kirshner, when my son Seth went to Mexico, spiritually fathered my son. Pains me to say that, but it's the truth. It is the truth. I was in no way able at that time, and I was even a pastor, to spiritually father my own children, let alone anybody else's. I said this to Judah. What I want you to see, Judah, is that in the Hanke family over the last three generations, we have been learning what it means to be a man after God's own heart. I'm proud to be on that journey. Proud. By God's grace, my journey to manhood brought me to Jesus through brokenness. Then God gave your father, my son Seth, God gave Seth a greater vision. He filled him with the Holy Spirit. And Seth is a child of God who is sold out for Jesus. And I declare to you, Judah Hanke, that God is going to do an even greater work in you by his empowering grace. Seth asked each of us to give Judah a gift that would be representative of what we wanted, a picture of what we wanted him to be and to see. Seth gave Judah a sword, and Judah knelt before uh, all of us, and we prayed for him. And Seth took the sword and he knighted him, and he said, you, Judah Hanke, are a man of God after God's own heart. He said, you, Judah Hanke, are going to leave a legacy for Jesus Christ. The likes that me and your father and others have never seen. Wow, he just kept pouring in and pouring in. <clears throat> Seth said to him, Judah, this sword is the word of God. And it will go deeply into your soul. And it will separate your spirit, and your soul. God will bring forth those things that will keep you from being able to follow him and be allegiant to him. It was such a precious, precious, precious moment. 
And then I gave Judah my gift. It belonged to my father. It was something that my father carried with him every day that to me represented an aspect of my father's character that lives on in me. My father was a generous man. He kept this purse full of money all the time so that he could give it away. He loved to open the purse and gather children around and let them each take a quarter. Man, they would dig in. And when he came home from work, I would always head for the door and try to figure out which pocket my dad had it in. And then my dad would open it and let me take a quarter every day. Many times I saw my dad, when somebody was needy, say, this is all I have, and he turned his purse upside down and he poured it into the people's hands. And I said to Judah, that's your heritage, Judah. I bless my father today. He gave me what he had. I said, Judah, I gave your dad what I had to give, and your father is giving you what he has to give. And by God's grace, Judah, you will become even more faithful as a man after God's own heart who is blessed by the efforts of those who come before you and are cheering you. God has been, God has been breaking open my life so that I can see the heritage that I have been left as a Christian, from my parents, as broken as they were, as broken as I, I was. It doesn't stop God. It doesn't stop God from bringing forth a legacy. And what I want to challenge you with, brothers and sisters, is that there are sons and daughters out there who need spiritual fathers and mothers. And I believe that that's what God is doing. He wants to raise up spiritual fathers and mothers who will parent and grandparent the next generations for Jesus Christ. I'm going to turn this into a three-part series because I realize You'll be here till late this afternoon. <laughs> if I give you the whole load. But what I want to do today is I, I want to encourage you in that. I also want to read um, read the scripture in in First Kings or Second Kings six. This is going to be the basis. I want to tell you how I got here. We have prophets in our family. Uh, at least they have prophetic names. Ezra, a uh, bit of a prophet. Uh, Elisha, Micah. We also have Judah and Noah. But 
I was visiting and watching my grandchildren last week. And they, they often ask me, what are you preaching on this week? And I said, well, I'm preaching on that little boy right there. I'm preaching on Elisha. He's four years old. He just turned four. And he didn't, he didn't waste a second. He said to me, that's the Elisha in the Bible. I'm Elisha, and I'm also a prophet. But he said, that's the Elisha in the Bible. And I said, well, you guys know any stories? Do you know any stories about um, Elisha? Lo and behold, one of my grandchildren said, yeah, it's really a weird story about a guy who was chopping down a tree and his accent fell in, in the river. And I'm like, you know that story? And they said, yeah. And then they told me all the stories associated with, with Elijah and Elijah. And it was great. And as the saying goes, <clears throat> they were going to name Elisha Elijah. And the other children would not let them name him Elijah because he said, why would you want to name him Elijah when Elisha got way more blessings than Elijah? I mean, that's a heritage. Don't you see it? That's a legacy. They want that child to, to have prophetic power. Hallelujah. That just that blesses me to no end. It just blesses my star. So... Here's the story in 2 Kings about Elisha and the floating axe head. How many of you knew that, this story before today? Okay, good. The company of the prophet said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said, go. You know, Elisha took over what Elijah had done. And so Elisha had a seminary. He had a following of people. He was doing what Elisha had done to him. And Elisha had poured in his spirit into Elisha. And Elisha now is pouring his spirit into the other prophets. Well, what happens is the school gets too big. It's a seminary that like grows and expands. And so they don't have enough buildings to meet under, right, when it rains. Then one of them said, I'm in verse 3, Won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied. And he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, an iron axe head fell into the water. Oh no, my lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and he threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and he took the axe head. I want to set the stage here. 
Elijah the prophet, remember, he had a really, really bad day and week and month, right? After what happened on the mountain when God came down, right? He was discouraged and he was depressed. In 1 Kings 19, he had just experienced a high of a miracle on Mount Carmel, but he fled into the desert when he was threatened by the evil queen Jezebel. And there under a juniper tree, Elijah complained to God of his ill fortune. He was tired, he was weary, and he felt like... (laughs) He said, I'm the only godly person on the face of this earth. So what solution does God give to that man that's depressed? He says, go find a son. What he said. He said, go find a son. Like the good father that he is, God refused to allow Elijah's spiritual legacy to die so easily. Instead, The Lord encouraged him to go find a son. He said, his name is Elisha. So go and find that son who's going to be your successor. And Elijah obeyed, and he placed his coat on Elisha, the mantle, and he anointed him as his assistant. Realizing that God's anointing was going to be multiplied 20, 40, 100 fold in Elisha. Mark Hanby said, a spiritual parent is not necessarily the one who birthed you into the kingdom. Instead, the spiritual parent is the one who rescues you from the doorstop of your abandonment and receives you into his house, gives you a name, and makes you his son. Elijah received a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And what's really cool is, remember the day that Elijah was taken just taken up to heaven, right? Do you know what Elisha called out? Elisha said, not my prophet, my prophet. He said, my father, my father. 2 Kings 2.12. My father, my father. Elisha experienced a double portion of God's spirit after being fathered by Elijah. I want to ask you a question. Are you right now a spiritual father or a spiritual mother? Are you a spiritual father or a spiritual mother? Paul the Apostle warned the Corinthian church not to overlook the need to make lasting spiritual investments in other people. And he 
referred to spiritual fathers. 1 Corinthians 4.15. I want to turn to that. 1 Corinthians 4.15. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. <laughs> Look what Paul says. You have 10,000 instructors. An instructor is one who is responsible for the supervision of children until they reach adulthood. That's what an instructor was. It's kind of like a nanny or whatever. They came along and that person was responsible to pour into your life until that person became an adult. And Paul says that person might have given you the scripture, might have encouraged you in that, but what Paul is looking for is a spiritual father, a spiritual mother. I wonder how many people in this community are looking for spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. You didn't birth them. They didn't come through your family. But God is working in their life and they need someone who is going to not simply be, if you look at verse 18 there of, of uh, 1 Corinthians 4, not simply puffed up. That word is puffed up. And you know what a person is puffed up with? Puffed up with knowledge. Puffed up with knowledge. Proud of what they knew, but they were immature as believers because they lacked the ability to be true fathers and to take that identity of who someone is in Christ and encourage another person in that identity with the proper training and nurture in Jesus. That's why Paul in verse 17 says that he's going to send Timothy to the Corinthian church. Why did he send Timothy? Because Timothy was going to come and be a spiritual father to the church. He would remind you of my way of life in Christ. So as a spiritual father, Paul poured into Timothy, and then Timothy was ready to impart his spiritual fatherhood into the Corinthian church because Lord knows they needed it. As you read the church at Corinth, they needed spiritual fathering because they didn't know how to apply all the knowledge that they were learning and that God had given them. So just how do spiritual young men and women grow up to become spiritual fathers and mothers? Elijah tells you. 
God, what do you need? I need you to be a spiritual father. I'm giving you a son. Spiritual fathers become spiritual fathers by having sons that they pour into. Spiritual ladies, spiritual women, spiritual daughters of God become spiritual daughters by pouring in to women. Spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers. And it doesn't matter whether you become a spiritual parent by adoption. That means somebody else brings the person into the kingdom, right? They share the gospel, but you take over. Or whether it's by natural birth, you have the privilege of being there when that person comes to faith in Christ and you are able to encourage them. So Paul led Onesimus to Christ while he was in prison. Paul met Timothy while he was in Lystra after Timothy had come to Christ earlier due to the influence of his mother and grandmother. Spiritual fathers and mothers are mature believers who have grown and matured in their Christian walk. And now God is able to take them and use them to produce spiritual sons and daughters and granddaughters and grandsons throughout the generation. Lest we think in Scripture that spiritual fathering is only for fathers, it is also for mothers. One of the Hebrew names for God is El Shaddai. You know the word El means mighty, mighty, strong. And Shad means, Shaddai, Shad means many-breasted one. It shows the tenderness and the compassion of God. It shows God's desire to nurture and make people fruitful. So we get a picture of God's nurturing mother-like tendencies throughout the Scripture. Isaiah 49, can a mother forget the child that is at her breast? No, I say, even if that mother forgets, God will never, ever forget you. God uses the picture of a mother and a child to describe one of the strongest bonds, strongest spiritual bonds that women could ever have. It is having spiritual daughters in the faith. It's a picture of God's nurturing and tender mother's heart because Christ always shows his compassion for those who have been rejected. Remember Jesus weeping over Jerusalem? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. 
God's Word gives women a clear mandate and model for spiritual mothering. Titus exhorted older women to put their energies into training and teaching younger women. He said, teach the older women that they may be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Paul knew that if mature women of God would invest their faith in younger women, the kingdom of God would be advanced. These mature women are the kind of women who are ready to be spiritual mothers. I love uh, Henry Nouwen. He was a a Jesuit priest um, who wrote many books, but the greatest thing that he has given is his, his own authenticity in being able to share what God was doing in his life. In the latter years of his life, God led him to a community named La Abra, I believe it was called, and it was to a community of developmentally slow and difficult human beings where he went and God actually taught him how to love. But one of my favorite books by Henry Nouwen is a book that chronicles his spiritual journey. And I think the reason I love this is his spiritual journey, just like mine, to spiritual fatherhood. See, lest you think that spiritual fatherhood comes with a seminary degree, it doesn't, brothers and sisters. It doesn't. But Henry Nouwen wrote a book called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And in it, he asked, God has him ask this question of himself. Am I the elder son or the prodigal son in this picture? And it was a picture of Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son in the father's arm while the elder son is on the outside looking at the embrace of the father and the youngest son. Am I the elder son or am I the prodigal son in that picture? And for years, he says, he agonized over searching for spiritual fulfillment about this. And one day, his friend came to him and looked at him and spoke these words. Whether you are the younger son or the elder son, you have to realize that you are called to become the father. You have been looking for friends all your life. You have been craving for affection as long as I've known you, Henry Nouwen. You have been interested in thousands of things. You've been begging for attention and appreciation and affirmation left and right. The time has come, Henry Nouwen, for you to claim your true vocation to be a spiritual father who can welcome God's children home without asking them any questions and without wanting anything from them. 
in return. And of course, John in 2 John, the fourth chapter says, there will be no greater joy, no greater joy than to see our spiritual children and grandchildren walking in truth. So you see where this is going. Anybody want to bail? You see where this is going. You see, this is a call for Lebanon Evangelical Presbyterian Church for the spiritual mothers and fathers to rise up. To rise up. To find a son. To find a daughter. Not necessarily a biological one but to find a son or a daughter who needs you to be an Elijah who pours into Elisha, who needs you to be an Elisha who gathers the prophets together and encourages them to watch God work a miracle. If you're depressed today, you're in luck. Not luck, I don't believe in luck. You're improvident if you're depressed today because that is the criteria. Just ask Elijah. He was depressed. So if you got a juniper tree out there that you want to go suck up under, God says, what about me giving you a daughter, a spiritual daughter? That will be your quickest way to life. Come on. Come on, let's stop taking the Bible in. You're mature, Lebanon. You are mature. You know more Bible than seven-eighths of the people that are walking around this county. God doesn't call us to be puffed up. He calls us to move out. And I'm, I'm delighted to tell you that God has been doing that Jennifer's been shaking her head. Why? Because she's been a spiritual mother for the last six weeks. Spiritual mother right there. Not in the church. Not in the church. Young lady that came to Jesus. How? By the kindness of other people. God's kindness leads us to repentance. God brought other people into her life. But he brought Jennifer into her life to be a spiritual mother. So that she can have a heritage for Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, after worship, we traveled to a swimming pool in Waynesboro, and Bill McCaskill baptized that young lady. She is now at a rehab, and God is working on her. God's working on her. God is changing her heart. Thomas Truslow, last week, driving down the road, and only someone that's been incarcerated can recognize an incarcerated person from 100 yards in the side of the road. But Thomas Truslow pulls over and is open to being a spiritual father for a young man. 
Right now, I personally am spiritually fathering four young men. men well, one of them's in his 60s in the gamut. You see, God is touching hearts of people, but what he needs are spiritual mothers and fathers. Would you, con- would you consider responding to that call? I don't have to set you up with anybody. I don't have to tell you where you can find them. If you desire it, God will bring those people across your path. Now, I'm going to stop here. I'm going to go on next week, though. I'm going to get into that passage about Elisha. You can read it. Get into 2 Kings. Read the whole thing. It's really fantastic. Right? Two reasons. Two reasons that I have found why Bruce Hankey did not step up and be a spiritual father before he did. My pride. My pride. Well, if I wasn't a spiritual father and now I am a spiritual father, everybody's going to know I wasn't a spiritual father. Believe me, my confession today came from the bottom of my soul. But you know why I can say that? You know why I can say that I was not a spiritual father to my own son? It's because I am covered by the blood of Jesus. Because Jesus loves me. He died for me. My righteousness is not dependent on whether I spiritually fathered my son because God was able to bring Dwayne Kirshner into his life for two years, spiritually fathered him, and I mean, I mean my son Seth. My son Seth took the bridge up there and went light years ahead of where Bruce Hankey is. Light years. The legacy that my son is going to leave well, I mean, mine will look like dirt in compared to what God is going to do in his life. And my grandson, whoa, he is going to spiritually father many, many young men in this generation and the generations to come. That's God's call. But that's what kept me, my pride, my pride. Well, I didn't do it before. Fine. Have a moment of repentance under your juniper tree. Sorry, God. And let God's kindness draw you to repentance and open your eyes and God will give you an Elisha. The second thing that keeps people is it's messy. I I can't tell you any other way. It's messy. It stinks sometimes. I stink sometimes. People stink sometimes. It's messy. But that's how God is. We're messy. And God hangs in there with us. And the third thing is time. Time. E-I-M-E. I've often said that if the people that come to church, I don't care if they let their wallets at home, but if everybody that comes to church says, God, you can have these eight hours this week and you put it in the offering plate, I'll guarantee you that the kingdom will increase. So look over your schedule. Take a look and just say, God, you've got me for this hour, this hour, these two hours, and these two hours this week. And then pray when that hour comes, pray, 
and open your eyes and look around, go to Walmart, walk down the block, do whatever you need to do because God will bring a son or a daughter into your world. And then there's going to be a choice. Am I going to respond to God's call? Because this is God's call. God in this generation is calling forth spiritual mothers and fathers. And if we aren't listening, and if we are not responsive, then we will not. We can talk about revival till the cows come home. You can get as many people as you want to into a tent. But I guarantee you, the people that God wants you to father or mother aren't going to be in the tent. They're going to be doing drugs somewhere until they say, I'm sick of this, and then God's going to be bringing them in, into your life. They're going to be anywhere but the tent. And I've been in ministry for almost 50 years, so I have perspective to say that. And my prayer for this congregation, my prayer is that you will desire to leave a spiritual heritage and that you will step up and come forth to be spiritual mothers and fathers for the next generation of those who Jesus wants to bring. Let's pray.